Welcome. I'm John Hart, the co-founder of C3 Solutions, the conservative coalition for climate solutions, and I'm the editor of our news magazine, C3. And welcome to another edition of Right Voices, our video and podcast series where we highlight conservative leaders in the climate and energy debate. And today we're honored to be joined by Representative Nancy Mace. So Congresswoman Mace has represented South Carolina's first district since uh, 2018. She serves on the Transportation Committee, Oversight, Veterans Affairs, and she's also a member of the Conservative Climate Caucus. Uh, and she graduated magna cum laude from the Citadel, uh, the military college in South Carolina, uh, where she was the school's first female to graduate. Uh, congratulations for that. And uh, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Thank you for having me so much. Such an important issue. I'm glad we're talking about it today. Yeah, it's it's really an interesting one. So let's just jump in and and, and just kind of state, uh, you know, the uncomfortable fact that Republicans didn't quite have the midterm election result they wanted. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't the red wave that people uh, thought might materialize. And I want to really just ask you, is where, where does the party go from here? And do you believe that climate and energy issues can be a part of the Republican Party defining what it's for in, in the future? Well, I think, you know, if we learn some lessons from the midterms, we can learn that we're not talking about the issues that are important to our voters and our constituents. And the political issues that people want to talk about today are much more diverse than they were two, five, even 10 or 20 years ago. And times are changing. You look at younger voters, they care about the environment, they care about climate. It is an issue that that is a single issue for some voters, many voters who are younger generations, like my children's generation. Uh, and so um, making sure that we understand the issues that are important to our voters and our constituencies and working together. One of the things that we also learned from the midterms is it wasn't the far right or the far left that won that night. It was those that were left of center, right of center, constitutional conservatives like myself who are willing to reach across the aisle to deliver results, which is one of the reasons I'm one of the 50 Republicans who co-founded the Conservative Climate Caucus. It's an issue that's important to my district, to my constituents, to my voters, but also it's an area where we can find some agreement if we work hard enough to get there. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that you talked about constitutional conservatism. Uh, I mean, that's mm-hmm. a, a lot of conservatives, when they hear the word climate and environment, they immediately are defensive. And and frankly, for good reason, because for so many years, that issue set, that landscape of issues has been associated with a top-down command and control Approach and one of the things our, our organizations put out is a report called "Free Economies or Clean Economies" that shows that countries that embrace the principles of economic freedom, as defined by the Heritage Foundation, property rights, low taxes, are actually twice as free. So, mm-hmm. have you seen a shift in your uh, electorate? Is there is there more openness among conservative voters who believe deeply in the Constitution that understand that if you want a cleaner a cleaner environment? embracing these principles of less government is the best way to get there. Absolutely. And you can see a district like mine where the economy really is predicated on clean air, clean water, clean beaches, clean forests, um, you know, conservation and those kinds of issues. But we still run into, and even as one of the co-founders of the Conservative Climate Caucus, I'm called a climate denier sometimes. (laughs) I'm like, I'm literally working on these issues. I literally use the word climate. I talk about it. Some things are man-made, some things are natural. You gotta be able to have a very open conversation. But there is still an issue with one, the way that we talk about issues as Republicans, and then two, pushing back on some of the, the rhetoric that we hear. And sometimes it comes from the far right, And then, you know, when you're called a climate denier, well, you know, that's coming from the far left, but pushing back on that because we know that free market freedom, 
Um, the free market means that if we have clean air and clean water and clean beaches, we're going to have tourists come to Charleston and Hilton Head, South Carolina. They're going to want to spend their money there. Billions of dollars are spent and invested there every year. And if and if if the if the environment is dirty and no one's going to want to visit. And so understanding that that's what the free market means and free market conservation and energy policy, um, our entire lives and our communities are rely on on clean energy and cleaner energy. And I look at I look at my district. I mean, almost every street you can see a Tesla rolling around. I mean, this is an area where there's a demand and you can go into the parking lot of a Mellow Mushroom or another retail outlet and you'll see that there are electric charging stations that are popping up to meet the demand of the electric vehicle drivers. It wasn't the government forcing a policy. It was the market naturally going in the direction that it has been and business is going to meet that demand. And so when you understand those principles, it's very easy to meet the demand, especially on climate issues. Right. And, you know, I, as, as I mentioned earlier, I think there's this assumption that, uh, well, the left wants there to be a monopoly on caring, which is why they'll mm-hmm. use complicated rhetoric <laughs> against yeah. you, which is preposterous given your record and what you focused on uh, in terms of conservation issues. Yeah. Uh, and and what, what are some of those other other issues that, that are really top of mind priorities for your constituents? Well, ban- banning offshore drilling off South Carolina's coast has been a big priority of mine, both as a state lawmaker and as a member of Congress. I was there when the former president uh, banned it. Uh, they put a moratorium on Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina. He announced that in Jupiter, Florida two years ago, and I was there. And so, again, it does go back to the way that we talk about the issues um, one of the very first projects that I worked on was a conservation project. When I got elected and was sworn into office, there was this uh, location off the coast of Charleston called Crab Bank. And for 12, almost 12 years, 11 or 12 years, the Army Corps of Engineers, the town, different local stakeholders, environmentalists, wildlife experts and groups were trying to rebuild this island with dredge material, non-toxic dredge material, so that birds have a place to nest. And with sea level rise, with hurricanes and storms, the island had been worn away. And we wanted to rebuild it with 50 or 60 uh, cubic acres and with the non-toxic dredge. Well, in 12 weeks, I got everybody in the same room singing from the same sheet of music, but we solved the problem in 12 weeks. What took them was something I've been talking about for 12 years. And so that was a huge priority for us. Um, and so again, having that track record, not only talking about these issues, but also delivering results on them too, are very, very important. And, and I sort of see what I learned in my first term in Congress is really, I'm just Elmer's glue, right? I'm just the glue to keep everybody together, keep everything moving. And when we're not talking and communicating at the federal, state, and local level, being the glue that brings all those stakeholders together to get the job done and, and finding that common ground. And often that just means some common sense and some conversations and getting it done. And, and so we're working on another issue, the same thing. We're doing a beach renourishment project on Folly Beach that we, we're getting some funding for. And again, it's just getting everybody, the stakeholders, the wildlife folks, the environmentalists, the Army Corps of Engineers, the town, all the stakeholders, getting everybody on the same sheet of music. We're doing that now with the help of Senator Lindsey Graham. He's been very helpful to us. And we're going to get the funding for that. We're going to do it. We're going to, you know, save uh, we're going to help the environment and help wildlife and have beautiful beaches. And that's really what it's all about at the end of the day, when your economy is predicated on, on those, on the environment being great for tourism. Right. And, you know, moving ahead, you know, the next, uh, the next term in Congress is going to be uh, quite an adventure. I think for you and your colleagues of try, trying to move legislation. It's an understatement probably. It's going to be the <laughs> wild west. We all know that. It's, it's going to be, be the wild, wild west. west. Yeah. 
which isn't always a bad thing, uh, but it's going to take a lot of creativity. Uh, and w- what do you see as other issues of possible or do you see issues of possible compromise where Democrats, and Republicans might find common ground on common sense environmental policy that will be we're going to have to i mean we're going to have to we have to address inflation the supply chain we have to address energy policy at the end of the day all of us want cleaner energy right but you just can't like cutting the keystone pipeline off overnight you just can't do it overnight you need time for industry states and communities and municipalities and towns to transition. Is it five years? Probably not. Is it 20 more likely? 50? No. It's, you know, we need time to make that transition. And so embracing policies that do both, they're not mutually exclusive. And it's just like, you know, uh, having regulatory policies that really mandate us going to get oil and gas from our enemies or from Russia, which is dirtier oil and gas, when we have the cleanest stuff right here at home, using the natural resources we have now as we transition, whether that's uh, looking at, you know, I look at aviation, I'm on the aviation subcommittee on the infrastructure committee, but looking at, they're working on sustainable fuels, but they can't do it in a year. I mean, it's going to take them several years to get there and making sure that industry has the tools, the resources, the technology. Fusion, there's this great story about research on fusion that's coming out. I mean, that is going, that's a miracle that's in the making right now, but it doesn't happen overnight. It's tens of billions of dollars of investment in that technology that our country is invested in. And once we get there, it's going to be a massive, massive game changer, but we got to get time to get there. And I look at California. I mean, they've got great ideas for green energy, but they're in a place now where they're going to ban you from buying an oil and gas car, you know, but you, and then they're going to ban you from, you know, charging your electric vehicle. I had the same literally 24 hours apart. They make these two announcements. You can't buy gas fueled cars, and but you can also can't charge your electric vehicle. I mean, it's like, come on, right? And just some common sense will get us a long way there to finding that common ground. And now, I mean, California, they're looking at nuclear. I mean, they're looking at uh, either maintaining the nuclear they have or building more nuclear reactors because of the energy problems that they've created by going too green too fast and not giving time to transition everyone to those systems uh, in a period of time that's acceptable. You know, one of you know, it's funny. The left likes loves to use the term climate denier, but often they're or they talk about denying the science. But oftentimes, the mm-hmm. left denies the math, denies the economics, yeah, and I think more policy dynamics. So, you know, I'm curious is is there a bit of an awakening, even even quietly or or privately, if you can share, just among some of your more centrist or center left colleagues when they look at the horror of what's happened in in Ukraine, where Russia. Mm-hmm was incentivized to invade in part, not solely, but in part because of Europe's energy policies that went green too too far too fast. In other words, Europe outsourced its emissions to Russia, Putin laughed, and then mm-hmm. invaded Ukraine. And California's repeated some of that same failed logic. The Green New Deal is is that on steroids. Is there is there any realization among your colleagues that that is an incoherent energy strategy that's not good for the environment? I think there'll be some relief from Democrats, quite frankly, because Republicans are in, from what I can tell from our leadership, Kevin McCarthy and others, that we're going to be much more responsible with the way that we make investments and spending. And there's probably a little bit of a sigh of relief from the left for those policies. They can't say that publicly, of course, but when you have left of center and right of center who are willing to work together and understanding that we have wasted so much money. You look at the infrastructure bill 
the bipartisan infrastructure bill and look at how much little that actually went to infrastructure. My state of South Carolina, we cheered when the, you know, the mainstream media cheered when we got, I got announced we're going to get $6 billion over five years. And it was great. And then you come to find out six months later that five of that $6 billion is really um, baseline spending. They were already going to, already going to get anyway. And then we're only going to get an extra billion dollars. I could spend a billion dollars five times over on five different bridges in my district tomorrow. And I wouldn't even blink an eye, wouldn't even bat an eye. And so most of that, the bulk of that is going to green new deal. And they're going to set up the federal government to compete with private businesses, um, setting up EV. I keep picking on EV stations. I don't mean to do that, but that's an example where the federal government is trying to compete with the private sector and the private sector is doing a good enough job as it is putting up electric charging stations. I see it in my state of South Carolina. They're popping up everywhere because the private market is trying to meet the demand of those that have the, have those needs and have electric vehicles. And so uh, when they see the lack of investment in traditional energy policy, traditional infrastructure, they're gonna, there's going to be a rude awakening. And it's my hope that Republicans will be responsible, that we'll be more thoughtful about how we message what it is that we're doing and perhaps show more compassion and be talking about these issues. You can't just say drill, baby, drill. That is not where the majority of people are. <laughs> but talk about it in a compassionate way without attacking each other, without attacking the other side. That's what's going to be most important is bringing that temperature down, showing that we care, showing people that we care and showing them the policies of what this can look like in the future in a very nonpartisan way. Right. And it, when you uh, uh, joined the Conservative Climate Caucus, you, you had a, a statement that said there's a way to lower global emissions without sacrificing American jobs and principles. And I believe Republicans are the ones that can and should be leading the charge. What What are some of the specific policies we haven't touched on that that you think Republicans really should focus on and obviously bring in Democrats. You know, would, per, would permitting reform be one, nuclear? NEPA. I mean, I think NEPA, you know, permitting reform needs to be a place. Fusion technology, doubling down on our investments there. That is the future. That is a place where everyone understands the beauty of that technology, where it's going, and the miracles that it can happen with energy policy. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of federal agencies and bureaucracies that are getting in the way of innovation. And we've got to, whether it's repealing regulations, that's one way to go about doing that, um, looking at, uh, you know, NEPA reforms, but making investments in places, hydroelectric power is another one that ha- is very promising that I think you can get people on. When um, Ro Khanna and I, we did a bill when Russia invaded Ukraine to ban the imports of Russian oil and gas. And when we did that, the uniqueness of everyone did a bill, right, to do that. But the uniqueness of our bill was looking at alternative forms of energy, having the federal government study what are the opportunities, the options, and the resources in the future? So we're less reliant on dirty oil and gas from countries that hate us and countries that we don't want to fund. We don't want blood on our hands with Russia or Venezuela or Colombia or Iran or anybody else um, and, and lessen our reliance on, on our enemies overseas. And so uh, we had a very pragmatic way of going about doing it. And we need more of those voices. And that's why these conversations are so important. And I, I'll show up and I'll talk about environmental issues to any group, left or right, but we've got to lower the temperature. One of the things I'm really that we need to work on both sides is not attacking the other when we have a disagreement. I've showed up at some of these conferences, bipartisan conferences, and being attacked by the left, you know, it just doesn't push us forward. But the right, we have to be cognizant of that and not do the same thing. We need to be willing to work together. And my message to everyone in this Congress and the next one is that I'm willing to work with you if you're willing to work with me. So and that needs to be our message. 
Yeah, and I think there's again, it, it goes back to a lot of how the issue's been so politicized since mm-hmm. really since Al Gore made it a lefty issue. Mm-hmm. But when I, I I have 62 acres, I have a farm. Whenever I talk to people about my land and I ask, you know, who who supports the Boy Scout rule that you should leave the campsite better off than you found it? Yeah. I have never had one conservative say, no, I disagree with that. I want to, I want to yeah. leave the earth. Yeah. It, it's very much as a part of our DNA. But I think finding yeah. those just common sense uh, points of connection are important where it's not a left or right issue. It's just a, it's a common sense issue. Yeah. And that's where we've got to get to. The partisanship has to, it really needs to, needs to end so we can move forward on these issues and be taken seriously on it. Both sides need to. I mean, you can't have it. can't have your cake and eat it too. Compromise means finding common ground. Right. And and one point on constitutionalism is the founders, mm-hmm. the, the the alternative to compromise is chaos and mm-hmm. compromise is not selling out, you know, not not compromising right. the constitutional tradition. So, yeah, it's building consensus. I mean, you can't get what you want 100 percent of the time. Nobody, nobody gets that. Um, and that's an unrealistic goal. Our goals at the end of the day, are, they're often they're very they're very much the same. But how we get there is very different. And how we talk to one another, it has to be to be cognizant of how we're speaking to one another. And I think that's really important, particularly on environmental and climate issues. And I make it a point to get in front of Democrat groups all the time because I'm not I'm not the devil here. I'm not evil. I'm on the wrong side here. I really want to work with folks. And it's incumbent upon Republicans to talk to Democrats. It's incumbent upon Democrats to talk to Republicans. And have an open door policy when it comes to these issues. Right. Well, Congressman, thank you so much for for taking the time, and we'll we'll follow this closely and yeah, we're continuing the discussion next Congress. And and you're always welcome to come on and give us updates on on the status of these difficult <laughs> conversations and compromises. But mm-hmm. uh, but I just commend you for your leadership and and uh, uh, come on at any time. Super. All right. Thank you so much. Right. Thanks. This has been John Hart with C3 Solutions and Right Voices. Mm-hmm.